Hey there, welcome to QPCast. I'm Brittany and I use she, her pronouns. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. We're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of QP Ontario, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. My name is Elise Leli, and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm Tiffany, and I use she, her pronouns. Today, we'll be having some fun talking about how unions are represented in pop culture, from movies to TV shows to books and more. So let's get into it. You're listening to CupyCast Episode 4, Simpsons Did It, How Unions Are Portrayed in Pop Culture. Before we get started, we want to recognize that this podcast was recorded and listened to on various lands that have been cared for and continue to be cared for by Indigenous peoples since the beginning of time. We acknowledge our colonial history and how it has negatively impacted the lives of so many Indigenous peoples. We commit to working with others to bring justice and murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people from coast to coast to coast. We want to take this moment to express our solidarity with all who are resisting Canada's ongoing attempts at genocide of Indigenous peoples. We also want to take time to encourage our listeners to check out QP Ontario's Carnival celebrations. The QP Ontario Racial Justice Committee and Epic Carnival are proud to present Togetherness, an online and in-person carnival celebration. This will be a live stream featuring DJs, socially distanced parties, and of course all the amazing and beautiful costumes and more. We believe if you miss it live that you'll be able to also see it on QB Ontario's social media on a later date as well. Yes, and if you'd like to learn about the history of Carnival, check out QP Ontario's webinar called The History of Carnival. Many excellent speakers discussed how Carnival is organized, funded uh, through regio- regional variations and more. Look for it on QP Ontario's social media. Okay, let's start off with a quiz. If you hear the quote, dental plan, Lisa needs braces, what does that bring to mind? Hmm. I mean, based off of the name, I'm going to say this is some kind of Simpsons reference. Yeah, I think I've used it before at union schools too, but it would be a really old episode of The Simpsons, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So dental plan, Lisa needs braces. And it's a common uh, thing that kind of shows up on YouTube and other places every so often. Uh, Comes from a scene uh, in the season four episode of The Simpsons called Last Exit to Springfield which actually originally aired in 1993. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I don't want to think about how young I was. Oh, my goodness. There we go. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I was old enough to watch The Simpsons, but just barely at that time. So uh, in the episode, the evil manager, Mr. Burns, uh, proposes eliminating the company dental plan for a keg of beer which somehow gets accepted by the union. Um, And so Homer's waiting for his beer, sitting at his union meeting, and his friend uh, Lenny says, so long, dental plan. And then Homer can hear Marge saying, Lisa needs braces. And so it plays in his mind over and over again while he's kind of trying to make the connection between the loss of dental benefits and having to pay out of pocket for Lisa's braces. And thank you for um, putting up with my voices there. My Lenny and my Marge sound. (laughs) You're better than mine, so you're good. Yeah, for some reason, swapping like dental benefits for beer sounds like something Doug Ford would do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if I remember correctly, wasn't the dental plan won through a previous strike? Yes, you're right. So the dental plan was won through a strike. Uh, they even kind of do a flashback to the to the strike chant. 
And um, it goes, what do we want? More equitable treatment at the hands of management. When do we want it? Soon. <laughs> that sounds very reasonable. That's Definitely. very reasonable. <laughs> yeah. So when Homer finally makes the connection, he convinces his union siblings to vote against the contract and then actually ends up being elected the president of the union. Wow. Things happen so quickly in Springfield. <laughs> For sure. And I'm sure Lisa was super proud of her dad. Don't they go on strike? Yeah, they do. And uh, Lisa is very uh, proud of it and a prominent figure uh, during the strike. Lisa continues to support uh, the union movement by singing for the striking workers. She has a little guitar. Uh, you can watch the video on YouTube. It's actually a fun one to play uh, during breaks at union meetings, especially while these meetings are on Zoom. I've been to a lot of meetings where uh, her song plays in the background, and I'm not going to sing it uh, because I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a singer. But one of the lyrics, the lyrics, uh, one of them goes, we'll march day and night by the big cooling tower. They have the plant, but we have the power. Maybe I'll add that to my rally playlist. Yeah, I love that too. It's cute, yeah. I know, every time I find a new song, I just add it to that playlist. But uh, like getting back to the, the Simpsons, doesn't Mr. Burns uh, hire strike breakers? Yeah, he does. And Mr. Burns and Smithers tries to run things on their own as scabs, but realize they need the workers. Yeah, so um, that that happens, and then uh, they realize the workers still aren't coming back. So Mr. Burns then turns off the power to the entire town, oh, hoping gosh. that the whole town will turn against the striking workers. But it actually turns into this powerful moment where everyone comes together and sings Lisa's song uh, all in one big group. So the episode ends with the union winning and regaining their dental plan, and Lisa gets her braces for that one single episode, and then suddenly her teeth are better, I guess. <laughs> Again, things happen very fast in Springfield. <laughs> but, like, because we were talking about Lisa and, and this one, it kind of, like, reminded me, is there not a Simpsons episode where something to do with Lisa unionizing the cheerleaders, too? There definitely is. It's uh, one of the newer episodes from 2013. Lisa helps the local football cheerleading team unionize, and they negotiate for better wages and working conditions. Yes, and that would be an interesting podcast to do in the future because as a former cheerleader uh, at the at the college level, not professional level of any kind, um, I would say that it would be interesting to look into sports and uh, and their working conditions and how they need unions, um, the ones that are not unionized. And getting back to The Simpsons, while some would argue, you know, that the episodes reinforce, you know, some negative stereotypes, the successful strike, especially in the earlier episode we were talking about, makes a great union story. And it points out something uh, important that we need to remember. Like you can have, I say this all the time that I'm at bargaining tables, you can have the best negotiators around, you can have the most, you know, reasonable articles at the bargaining table, you can have the best rhetoric, but when it comes down to, you know, really one thing, it's if we come together collectively, we have the power. So the power is in the membership and, and those. And, and these are positive portrayals of unions in pop culture uh, that we've talked about so far. But typically, that isn't the case. And I mean, I can think of some other positive portrayals in unions. Um, the movie, there's two movies uh, that come to mind. Made in Dagenham and Pride, for example. Uh, those are two to check out that have pretty positive portrayals of unions. I think they're both British movies. But I'm sure we can think of some negative ones, too. And actually, there's been a lot of research done that shows that unions are typically portrayed in a negative light, at least historically. Yeah, and we were talking about this like way earlier, and you mentioned that a study was conducted on this, especially on how the unions were portrayed in the news. Um, mm -hmm. I 
yeah, and I actually have the article here. <clears throat> Pardon me. So it says in uh, in late spring 2012, the Communication Worker of America and the Newspaper Guild commissioned a study of the coverage of labor and labor issues in three years of national network television news outlets. So those outlets were ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN. So there's a summary available through the Locust Fork News Journal. And I'm just going to quote part of it. So it says and I quote, for decades, several authors have contended that unions receive scarce and overwhelmingly negative coverage by diverse general market media. They have also pointed to the media's anti-labor discourse as one of the contributing factors for the gradual slide in public approval through the second half of the 20th century and into the first decades of the 21st century. Ah, that's a really interesting study. What they found is that the media distorts the audience's perception of organized workers. And this false narrative promotes promoted through the media and through news outlets includes labor unions protecting and encouraging unproductive, lazy, and insubordinate workers. Yeah, that's a common one uh, we hear often when we hear criticisms of unions. Um, the study also found a talking point used frequently is uh, that union leaders because they do not come from the educated or cultured or privileged classes are more likely to be corrupted by the power they achieve than others. Um, so of course we know the narratives around unions being corrupt has been around for a long time. Definitely. Yeah. And we see that, uh, it, that portrayed in the media beyond the news. So we'll talk about the movie, the Irishman in a little bit. Um, and we even see it in 1954's movie on the waterfront where the union has mob connections and a dock worker is terrified when fellow worker is murdered by mob boss, Johnny friendly, who is also president of his union local. <laughs> Yikes. Some of this is also unconscious bias as well. Some of this is inspired by real life events and some of it is definitely to push an anti-union agenda. There's a really powerful Malcolm X quote. If you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. That's such a good quote. And I'm a huge, mm-hmm. Malcolm X is from Michigan. I'm from Michigan. Uh-huh. <laughs> I always have to point out when there's people, uh, famous Michiganders, it's a thing. And I know Canadians also like to do that when they point out famous Canadians. But um, oh, yeah, true. All the time. Yeah, if our readers haven't read Malcolm X or seen Malcolm X, uh, I think there's a Malcolm X uh, biopic, actually. Check it out. Um, but I also found a super interesting article in the Pacific Sentinel, um, which is actually like a student newspaper. Um, and the oh. author was by uh, was Nick Gatlin um, and the article was called unions on the silver screen how the media influences our perception of organized labor and I really encourage uh, folks to check it out hopefully we can get it in our show notes Gatlin writes the next time you hear the company line on unions or hear a coworker or friend repeat a negative stereotype about organized labor ask yourself why where are they getting their ideas about unions how much has our collective attitude about organized labor been shaped by the media and in the information age it's even more important to be critical of the media we consume. It shapes us more than we know. Definitely food for thought when we see unions portrayed in all forms of pop culture. Yeah, those are some really great questions to think about. Um, And speaking of unions and pop culture, do either of you watch the sitcom The Nanny? Yes, that show is hilarious. And I know I did voices earlier, but I'm I'm not going to do my Fran Drescher voice. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) The Nanny still makes me laugh. Yeah, well, Fran Drescher, the lead star in The Nanny, is actually running for president of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, uh, which I know is a long name, but it's Mm -hmm. also known as SAG-AFTRA. 
That's so great to hear. I was also a fan of their outgoing president, too, uh, Gabrielle Carteris, who played Andrea on 90210. So two strong women. Oh, (laughs) that's awesome. Yes, women in leadership positions, right? Um, I'm really happy to hear that. And SAG-AFTRA represents approximately 160,000 actors, announcers, broadcast journalists, dancers, DJs, newswriters, news editors, program hosts, puppeteers, recording artists, so many people, singers, stunt performers, there's voiceover artists, there's other media professionals. Wow. Wow. Such a large membership. Very. Yeah, I was actually reading an interview that Fran gave on the deadline, and it was so exciting for her to say, it came to me that everything that I've done in my life has led to this one defining moment. As we mentioned earlier, there's so much negative press about unions. So for someone so well-known and popular as Fran to talk about how happy she is to be running for the president of a union, it's super exciting to see. She also wants to be a unifying force in Um, Mm SAG-AFTRA because a lot of workers there are divided and she wants to work towards empowering and protecting the members. Everything from compensation, residuals, safety protections, enforcement, protections from harassment, legislative advocacy, increasing work opportunities, working with sister organizations, expanding work opportunities, and making sure contracts are ahead of technological changes. Hmm. Fran has such a magnetic and such a vibrant personality. She would do such a great job promoting the unionism to the greater public. Definitely. And I think if unions have a stronger positive view in the media, that will only lead to seeing more people viewing unions favorably, which will only lead to more workplaces being unionized. Mm-hmm. There's also two movies that come to mind in terms of showing a positive portrayal about unions. The first one that comes to mind is Sorry to Bother You, which came out in 2018 and is directed by Boots Riley. Have either of you seen this one? Yes, I love this film. I had only It wasn't showing very many places in uh, the greater Toronto area, but I found the one theater that it was uh, playing at when it, when it first came out. And I actually tweeted how much I loved it to the director, Boots Riley. Nice. And he, and cool. he retweeted it. Oh, <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's and awesome. then and then Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine liked the tweet. So That's amazing. that was probably one of my proudest. I mean, I know we talked about my cat being famous on Twitter <laughs> before, but I think this was really my proudest Twitter moment. So like Gravy had her 15 minutes of fame and and now you've had yours. Yeah. <laughs> on yeah. Twitter anyways. Yeah. I mean you've but I, I actually have no chance to see it. Uh, so, like, can you guys tell me about it? For sure. I think it's actually on Netflix. I'm not sure if it still is or not, but definitely check for it there. Um, but Sorry to Bother You is an American Black comedy film about a low-income young Black man who works as a telemarketer. His telemarketing job is pretty tough, and he receives little wages and little to no benefits. However, one of his colleagues decides to start a union to fight back. And when this happens, the lead character, Cassius, also known as Cash throughout the movie, decides to support the union organizing drive. At first, a lot of folks, including Cash, think they might be fired, but instead, management decides to promote him and give him a raise. Cash takes up this offer because he sees that he'd be able to afford rent and all of his living expenses. And as I mentioned before, he was low income, so this would be really helpful for him. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay, so like management promoting cash because he's influential in the workplace, that is a union busting tactic that we have seen over and over and over. Oh my gosh, I can't even think how many times I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I remember being so disappointed in cash because I felt like he wasn't like the kind of person that would side with management, um, but he did. Um, and 
For him, not remaining in solidarity with his fellow co-workers and friends was super sad um, because they still continue to advocate for a union and to work to improve their working conditions. Yeah, United Front is so important in any unionized, uh, any union organizing drive and, and for cash to kind of to, to deviate from that is super disappointing. But also, you know, people make decisions based on their personal lives all the time. Definitely. And after Cash is promoted, he learns how shady the company is that he works for and realizes that they only care about their own capitalistic gains and they exploit workers and fund the arms trade. What I really appreciated, though, about the film Sorry to Bother You is that it highlights the struggles that black people face in society and in the workplace. I can't really think of many films that do that, that especially have black lead characters Mm -hmm. that discuss unions. Yeah, I can't think of many either. So if anyone listening has any suggestions, send us an email at info at qp.on.ca. Thanks for plugging that, Brittany. Um, Another really amazing pro-union film that I have recently watched is called Norma Ray. So Norma Ray was released in 1979 and stars the incredible actress Sally Field. Norma Ray is based on the true story of Crystal Lee Sutton. So in Norma Ray, Norma works at a textile factory with her family. The factory has very poor working conditions, which actually makes a bunch of the workers sick. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and on top of this, they make very low wages. And because of the poor working environment, a union organizer is sent to the workplace, which according to the management, the company has done time and time again before. Well, I love their determination. Yeah. For sure. Um, And Norma is actually part of the union organizing drive. And similar to Cash in Sorry to Bother You, at first she is promoted, but unlike Cash, in the end, she actually ends up getting fired. And sorry for that spoiler alert for anyone. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) At the beginning of this, or maybe we'll include spoiler alerts, like, throughout, because we also, the Simpsons episode, I pretty much gave away the whole thing there. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm sad uh, to hear that um, Norma got fired, but I'm glad they showed the reality of some workers who try to unionize their workplace. For sure. And workers have to be so careful and secretive when they're doing organizing union oh, drives. And while some workers do get fired in organizing drives, sometimes they don't actually get fired, um, but instead they also face some other repercussions. So they're intimidated or harassed by management, which can be incredibly difficult to deal with. I know this has happened in the past to many workers, I mean, across Canada, across America, across everywhere, really. Um, but I was just thinking about the workers at Amazon in Canada very recently. Um, but if folks are looking for training opportunities for you, union organizing drives. I know in the past, the Hamilton District Labor Council's Young Workers Committee, they've actually organized a few sessions in the past. I'm not sure if they're organizing more, but in the show notes, we'll link their uh, Facebook page for folks to check out in case they're organizing anymore. That's awesome. Um, so back to normal Ray, while I'm, I'm slightly ashamed to say I haven't seen the movie before, especially as a union activist. Um, so I definitely have to see it. I have seen the iconic picture of Norma Ray, played by Sally Field, holding up a sign that says UNION in all caps. And I think it's on cardboard. Yeah. Uh, so in the film, she holds up the uh, giant union side, which leads to everyone slowly stopping working. Um, Norma eventually, unfortunately, gets taken away by the police. Oh, no. um, but it's such a powerful scene that she was able to create um, a work stoppage just like with her one small sign. Yeah, after hearing about this, I am really interested in watching it now, too, because, you know, I love a good movie night. Um, But one movie that I just did a rewatch of recently, like a couple days ago, was actually The Irishman. And I know that we mentioned it earlier. Yeah, I watched it when it first came out. I mean, I I talked about the Michigan connection earlier. And of course, there's a big Michigan connection with Jimmy Hoffa in that movie. And it, it does a good job of telling the story of Teamsters and Jimmy Hoffa 
it is quite violent um, and is focused on more of the crime and the mob side, but it still talks a lot about unions, uh, being union proud and being part of a union. And, uh, and here's a little librarian tip. Uh, did you know it's actually based on the book, I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt? Um, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. It came out in 2004. It's a nonfiction book because it's uh, supposedly his life story. I actually oh. knew that because uh, when you first, the first scene, like the, or one of the first, like first scenes within the two, first two minutes of the movie, the uh, one character actually says, I heard you paint houses. Mm-hmm. And you don't actually see the Irishman until the very, very end of the movie, until the movie is over. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll definitely have to check out this book um, and the film The Irishman. Um, they're both going to be on my list now. How long is The Irishman? It's like just over three hours. Um, but like I found that there were a lot of spots where I could take a break. So I watched it kind of as like a mini series. It's also a really heavy film. Um, so I needed those breaks for myself. Uh, it starts a little bit slower, but you need to start slower so that you can like learn the base and like all the characters and where they're from. Um, there's a lot of great casting done. So like there's Robert De Niro's in it, Al Pacino, Ray Romano, Joe Pesci, Bobby Cannavale. Um, also Anna Paquin, who we've quoted uh, in this podcast before, she played a supporting role and then it's been directed by Martin Scorsese so like phenomenal mm-hmm. cast phenomenal director like those mm-hmm. those folks do always always a wonderful wonderful job yeah and so we won't do any spoilers for this one <laughs> but uh but Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 95 percent. so hopefully that's some indication of how excellent a film it is or how how um highly reviewed it was yeah I'll definitely be watching this one soon yeah and you know like even after watching The Irishman, I was thinking, like, what TV shows depicts, depict, like, unions and, and and are there, like, moments in TV shows where even they're mentioned? And I was thinking back to a conversation that we had with our producer, Mohammed, and he's talked a lot about Superstore and how they spend a lot of time going through the stages of forming a union there, too. Um, have either of you guys watched Superstore or do you know anything about it? I haven't seen that one. I believe America Ferrera is in that one, um, but it's definitely on my watch list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on Netflix, I think. I haven't had a chance to see it, but it's on my yeah, list it, to watch. Yeah, it's on mine too, but I am like a, I, I'm the same way with books as I am with TV shows and movies. I'm like one show at a time type of person. So I think that I'll probably start that when I'm done the current show I'm watching. So I'm actually doing a rewatch of How I Met Your Mother. And the other night when I was watching it, I caught a union mention. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, what <laughs> so I wrote it down because in case you guys want to watch it, it's just like one quick line. Um, and there is a swear word. So like, you know, ear muffins, if you don't want to listen to that. Uh, so it's actually in season 12 or episode 12 of season seven. So Barney, who is played by Neil Patrick Harris, is talking to one of the main characters, Ted. Um, he's played by Josh Radner. And they're having a conversation. And I think it's at this point in the series where like Ted is working for Barney. Barney and Barney says something and Ted responds back, you can't fire me. I'm union, bitch. <laughs> I laughed out loud so hard. I was like, I need to pause that. I need to write that down. I need to tell Tiffany and Elise because it was just amazing. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah, I might make like some buttons or swag. That. <laughs> that could be a good one. Yeah, and I was actually talking to my partner Matthew earlier this week, and he was telling me that there's actually a Star Trek episode that has a union ties to it too. Star Trek, really? Yes. So like I didn't realize because I am not a Trekkie 
Me neither. No, same. I don't even know the difference. I'm probably going to get hate mail for this. Not that I get hate mail, but I don't know the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars half of the time. So, yikes. Okay, so, like, I know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek, but I will admit, like, I haven't watched Star Trek. I am not a Trekkie, but I wanted to know more. So I asked Matthew. So he told me, and I'm going to, if any of our listeners want to watch it or listen to it, so it's Star Trek DS9. It's in season four, and it's episode 16. It actually came out in 1996, so quite a few years old, but it sounds like it aged well. Um, And the title of this episode is Bar Association. So basically what happens is there is a bar on a space station and the bar is called Cork's Bar. Obviously, the owner of the bar is Cork. And then there's a captain of the space station and his name is Cisco. Well, it turns out that a strike happens because there are completely like terrible working conditions and the workers want better pay. So they go on strike. Well, it turns out that the person leading the strike is Cork's brother, Rom. So are you guys still following? Because I'm trying to explain this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then Cisco says to Cork that he and his brother, Rom, need to make a deal by the end of the day. Um, it goes into detail about like how like like Cork owes Cisco all this money and back taxes and whatever. But he basically says like, you need to make a deal by the end of the day. And at one point, um, Cork, uh, the, the striking workers, they start handing out money for patrons to not go into the bar. And as they're handing out money, they're like, thank you for not pa- patronizing Cork or pa- patronizing Cork's bar. Here's, you know, some money. Thank you for not patronizing Cork's bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. I didn't realize Star Trek was comedic. Yeah, neither did I. Um, I've never seen it before either. (laughs) I think I saw like one of the movies, maybe. Uh, But otherwise, like I didn't realize that the like TV show was this funny. It's not just people hanging out in space, I guess. Anyways, (laughs) uh, so like I don't think that handing out money to people for not patronizing a place would ever happen in real life, but it makes for a super funny moment. Uh, And I guess at another time in the episode, Matthew was telling me that Cork tries to use holographic versions of himself to try to keep the bar going. So like he creates holographic versions of himself to be waitstaff, holographic versions of himself to be the bar staff. So like holographic scabs. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Creative, but it doesn't work. Um, And I Pardon me. And I guess at the end, Cork and his brother Rom end up making a deal that uh, if the union's demands are met and the workers' demands are met, then the union will dissolve, which happens, which like super sucks. Yeah, but... that part, the union dissolving isn't the best, uh, for <laughs> sure, but yeah. No, but the episode sounds pretty good, like all things considered, especially with like the workers like going out together and being in solidarity and, you know, talking to the people that normally patronize the bar. Like it's, you know, like I really think that they did a good job or it sounds like they did a good job of mm-hmm. showing that and union power, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like all they're missing is like Scabby the Rat in space. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Scabby the Rat. <laughs> But um, speaking of space and fantasy type shows, my mom was actually a really big fan of Battlestar Galactica, and she mentioned that there is some union talk in it too. I haven't seen it, but have you folks watched that show before? Surprise. I'm sure no one's surprised me, but I also (laughs) haven't seen this. Um, But it has been brought up. uh, A few of my colleagues have told me, like, you've got to watch Battlestar Galactica. It has so many underlying union things to it. So, like... I watched Battlestar Galactica, but this was like way back in my college days. So we're talking like 
2007, 2008-ish. So yeah, so a while ago. And I don't remember a lot of it. uh, So maybe I'll talk to Matthew about a rewatch. Uh, but I, I find that I do, like I said, a lot more movie TV rewatches, that kind of thing in the fall and the winter when the weather isn't the greatest in the summer, it's mainly big brother for me. You guys know, I talked about that already. And I, I did just finish the office, uh, this past winter though. Yes. And there's a union theme in one of those episodes. Oh yeah. I remember that episode too. I think. Yeah. What happens in it? So uh, I looked back because I didn't want to get anything wrong, like for the title and the season. So if anyone wants to watch it, it's season two and it's episode 15. It's titled Boys and Girls. So if you guys want to watch it, you have the info. Uh, But basically what happens is a woman in the workplace seminar is held for all the people who are women who work at the company uh, where the office is mainly held. The company is called Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, for those of you who haven't seen it. So Michael, the manager of Dunder Mifflin, uh, feels really left out, uh, which if you have watched it, you know Michael, and that's very typical of him. Uh, The world has to revolve around him all of the time. Uh, So then he decides, well, I'm going to host a men in the workplace uh, (laughs) seminar because, right? Like, not surprising. Uh, So he does it in the warehouse. And so a bunch of shenanigans end up ensuing and some like pretty serious safety violations happen, uh, which leads to the warehouse employees talking about starting a union. Um, Michael gets super scared, uh, and he runs to upper management and then upper management, of course, very typical uses some scare tactics. Yeah. That's, that's something we see a lot in organizing drives, uh, scare tactics. Um, I have lots of friends who are organizers, uh, in different unions or community organizers, um, and management typically, you know, scares workers all sorts of ways. Um, one of the main ways is stating, you know, that the union will take, uh, more money or the dues are going to not be used properly. They're going to misspend their dues or they're not going to represent them uh, at their best interests. Uh, one of the airline organizing drives uh, recently, management even told the workers that their dues are better spent on video game consoles. <laughs> because, yeah, because, Ridiculous. They, because they said the union won't represent your interests. They're just going to take all your money and, and they're corrupt. So that goes back to what we heard before. Yeah, and as we mentioned earlier, too, it's still common for workers who are pro-union to be harassed and intimidated by management or even fired, even though it's definitely against the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's happened a bit to me, quite a bit to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, but un- and unfortunate, but, you know, whatever. We, we try to do what we got to do. Uh, and unfortunately, in the case of the episode, it works. Uh, the scare tactic works. And the Shoot. warehouse, I know, and the warehouse employees don't end up unionizing. They don't end up organizing. But uh, it's still a really interesting episode. It really highlights the importance of health and safety in the workplace and how a mm-hmm. union can help with health, help with health and safety protections. That part was really well done. Um, Speaking of health and safety, I actually heard some union comments in a video game that Matthew was playing recently. <laughs> no way! Which one? So it was in Grand Theft Auto Five. Wow. Interesting. Interesting one. I mean, based on what we talked about in our first episode um, about unions and video games and how developers really need a union and the voice actors striking, I'm happy to hear the developers have actually added something about unions in the in the storyline of video games. Yeah, me too. And I was talking to Matthew about it and I was saying like, I think I really need to like look more into it because Grand Theft Auto 5, I think it was 
it's been out for quite a few years. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there's like a correlation between when that video game was being developed and when the voice actors were striking. So I think I need to look a little bit more into that. Um, but anyway, so I'll, I'll get to the the part of it because it's actually pretty funny. So I was in the living room and I was just reading um, and Matthew was playing Grand Theft Auto. And I all of a sudden, I just like my ears perked up and I heard the term union rep. And I was like, Matthew, you need to just pause, like pause, like what just happened? (laughs) Yeah, Matthew, tell us what happened. (laughs) So he explained it to me and I'm going to do my best to explain it to you. So the mission is called Scouting the Port. So if you have any other gamers out there, you can check out this mission. Uh, And I will say like Grand Theft Auto, the title alone tells you what kind of game it is. Very Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. not not PG, not PG. Anyways, this this explanation will be PG, though, I promise. So Matthew is playing a character named Trevor, and Trevor is at a shipping container depot. So what Trevor is trying to do is he's actually there to observe and look for super valuable items that he can come back later to steal. Um, So it's quite a busy depot, and there are lots of people walking around in construction worker vests and hard hats. So Trevor decides he's going to dress up like a worker. He goes up to a crane to look at one particular ship that he knows has really valuable valuable items on it. And all of a sudden, a supervisor of the area sees him and says, hey, we need someone to operate the crane. So then Trevor responds back, I'm not authorized to drive cranes, buddy, which is funny because he's definitely not because he doesn't work there. (laughs) And then the supervisor responds back, do you want me to get your union rep up here? The sooner you get in the cab, the sooner we can get out of here. So yeah, right. Super funny. Uh, So Trevor, not being a real crane operator says, well, this one's on you. And then the game resumes and you use the crane. Well, Matthew used the crane to move the shipping containers around. uh, So then Trevor can get back to scouting the port to figure out where to come back later. <laughs> That's awesome. And also not surprising that management wants the union to come sort things out for them. <laughs> yeah, they always use it to their advantage when they can. Uh, but there's more. There's oh, actually yes. more. Yeah. So then later on in the mission, because at this point I had to like watch Matthew play the entire thing to catch all the references that I could. Uh, Trevor is driving with another person named Floyd and Floyd is actually a worker at the port. So like he actually works there. So Floyd and Trevor are driving, they're in a cargo truck and Trevor tells Floyd that this is a dead end job by working at the port. Well, Floyd turns around and tells him it's not actually dead end at all. He says being unionized longshoremen's is one of the best paying jobs in the country. Nice. That's great. I mean, unions are pretty awesome and we definitely do help workers earn fair and good wages uh, through bargaining. So good job, Floyd. Right. And so, like, like I said, though, like, keep in mind, this is Grand Theft Auto 5. So <laughs> it's definitely not PG and I'm not going to get into the rest of it because it doesn't go so well. But I was very happy to hear the mention of unions and how they help the workers get better pay and the health and safety. True. Yeah. That's really cool. Thanks for telling us about that. And um, I know it's been mentioned on the podcast before that I worked many years in a public library as a librarian. And one of my favorite things to do uh, uh, when I was a lot, well, even now still, but when I was a librarian was um, book talks and putting books on display and just book recommendations in general. Um, Aren't you, are you both in book clubs? Yeah. So I'm not part of a book club, but the organization I'm part of Spring, which is a socialist network, has an amazing book club. Um, So they've read like Robin Maynard's 
Policing Black Lives, Kianga Yamahata Taylor's From Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation and more. Um, If folks are interested, they actually meet once every like two to three weeks and they always very thoughtful discussions. Everyone's welcome to attend and everyone that I've met at Spring is super warm and welcoming. And you can definitely check out their book club at Spring Mag CA. Nice. So like I actually am part of a book club. Uh, so I'm going to just do a little plug for it here. So if anyone is in the Niagara region, it's called Niagara's Traveling Book Club. It's on Instagram, so you guys can check it out. Um, there are two different nights a month where we meet. So you can pick what night works best for you and your schedule, which is like great for folks like me who do shift work because not every – I don't work 9 to 5. I do 12-hour mm-hmm. shifts, so like I can't really make a lot of plans. So I'm really happy that they have two different nights. Um, and so it's called Niagara's Traveling Book Club because we actually go to a different winery each time that we meet. Oh, that's uh, so awesome. Yeah, it's it's really neat. It's it's a good like night out. We have the option to do a tasting and they always have a snack that's like catered by the local winery or a local chef. So um, the most recent one was held at like uh, Lundy's Manor Winery, for example, and they gave us uh, a really cute charcuterie board and we had wine. It was a fantastic night. But then uh, each person who attends also comes with a discussion question about the book um, so that we can actually like talk about it and go through it. Uh, so in July, we read the book The Push by Ashley Audrin, who is also local to Niagara. Uh, but it's a very heavy book. Uh, and it's, it, it's yeah, it's a lot. So um I wouldn't call it a summer read. So, mm-hmm. and a lot of folks didn't really think it was, they thought it was a wonderful book, but not a very good summer read book. Uh, so we've decided on something a little bit more lighthearted for this month. Uh, so now we are reading That Summer by Jennifer Weiner. It's it's a really great club. I've met some pretty great people uh, and some really wonderful th- friends through it. So it's been awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you both uh, for sharing uh, those two clubs, they both sound so good. And it is a great way to, to talk to people either virtually or as things are becoming in person. Um, I have a few books to chat about that unions are actually portrayed in. So once again, not sure if these are summer reads, but I'll start with a book called Elmet, uh, which is written by Fiona Mosley. And this one was actually a finalist for the 2017 Man Booker Prize. And I'll note that this was a debut novel written when Mosley was 29 years old. And she actually wrote it during her commute each day when she was on the train. So, yeah, definitely didn't do that with my time on the train, but (laughs) excited for her. Um, The narrator is a 14-year-old boy who is on the run uh, and readers follow along to find out why he's on the run. And they're introduced to the backstory and his family and his family's experienced great hardship There's a huge fight with the landowner where they live, who's also um, an employer for many of the people. So they're they're his tenants and his employees in a lot of ways. Mm. And the tenants collectively band together to form a version of a union to fight back. And it becomes a bit of a David and Goliath story or even a bit like Robin Hood. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, that's actually really timely with what's happening in Toronto and probably some other areas with the super horrifying and devastating encampment evictions. Clearing these encampments disconnects people from their existing supports, steals their homes um, that have all been provided by the community. And it's nice to see that folks are coming together and banding together to fight back. True. That's such a great uh, point, Elise. And I definitely, uh, I know all of us would want to encourage our listeners to research the wrongful Mm -hmm. uh, evictions. Mm -hmm. And see how you can help. I mean, if you're in a position, there are people literally putting their bodies on the line to help protect mm-hmm. uh, folks there. So 
please check that out. And, and there's a lot of parallels in fiction and reality. Um, so that's, that's uh, uh, that book. But two other books I will quickly recommend are Work Song, a book by Ivan Doig. Uh, this one hits close to home for me because it's about Morris Morgan, who thought town librarian would be a nice, quiet job, but <laughs> ends up helping organize uh, workers, which lands him in the thick of the bloody 1919 Butte miners' strike. Oh, no. So, yeah, so check Ooh. that one out. I won't give too much more information about that. And then there's Clara and Merritt, a book by Peter Donahue. As tensions mount between Teamsters and longshoremen across the picket lines of Depression-era Seattle, a pair of star-crossed lovers find solidarity in each other's arms. So, yeah, it's kind of like it's a union-themed Romeo and Juliet because this is, um, I mean, we talked about in previous episodes, not all unions don't always get along. Sometimes they fight with each other. So, uh, yeah, so check out Clara and Merritt if you want to see kind of a union-y Romeo and Juliet. Aw, that sounds like it would be so good. I'm going to add it to my Goodreads list. So I love that app for tracking what I'm reading and Mm -hmm. what I want to read. So I'm definitely going to add these to that. Uh, But sometimes I like to read young adult fiction. And I know that that was your background when you studied library science, Tiffany. So do you have any like teen novels to recommend or anything in those in that category? Yeah, definitely. And that is what my background is for sure. So the first one is called For the Win by Cory Doctorow. And in this one, it's kind of, it has a video game element. So when Ooh. virtual realities give rise to real world slave labor, young workers get organized against their oppressive or- overlords, the gamers. <laughs> uh, and this is actually part of a series, but oh. in this one, hiding in the game, a group forms to fight the bosses, uh, the game owners, the ruling elite, and uh, they're able to art- outsmart uh, the ruling elite. But soon the boss battles spill over from the virtual world to the real one. So the cool thing about this book, uh, and all Cory Doctorow's books actually, is that the novel is available free on oh. the author's website as a Creative Commons download. So, oh, nice. Yeah, That's so, so cool. you can easily check that out for free. Um, I mean, you can also get it for free from your library, which we'll plug later. Uh, and <laughs> I'll also talk about um, another young adult book, Uprising, by Margaret Peterson Haddix. This is for kind of a, a slightly younger young adult audience, like more of the tween audience. Um, 11 months before the infamous Triangle Shirtwaist Fire of 1911, the workers went on strike. And so their conflicting passions and interests are profiled in this fictional account for young adults. Mm. Oh, those all sound super awesome. I also remember like last year, Tiffany, during our Durham Region Labor Day celebration, which was an online event, I remember we actually had a library worker reading a union themed kids book as part of story time. It was something about like animals who were like going on strike or something. What? Do you remember it? Yes. Yeah. So that was Jamie, um, a former coworker of mine and a, a, a library worker from Oshawa, Oshawa Public Libraries, who did an amazing job. Reading yes, she click, did. Yeah, she's so good. Reading Click Clack Moo, Cows That Type by Doreen Cronin. So in this book, farm animals go on strike. It's it's an award-winning book, actually, and quite funny. Uh, they have a mediator. I don't want to give spoilers, but definitely it's worthwhile to read on your own or, you know, if you want, if you have kids in your life, read it with your kids, and you'll find out if the cows are successful in their demands. <laughs> And um, people might wonder, like, how were you able to read this book virtually because of copyright and that kind of thing? And so um, we were able to read it virtually and have it, um, you know, live online. 
because during the pandemic, uh, publishers have actually waived rights so books can be publicly oh, shared. A story I love so that. Cool. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah, so this way kids still have access to materials while socially distancing. Um, so yeah, oh. that was pretty cool that we were able to share books that way. And um, I'm just realizing, so right now, uh, our listeners may not know, I'm actually uh, 35 weeks pregnant. And oh. so I have to remember Yay. to get, uh, get these books for my daughter's library. Although we do plan to visit our public library lots and lots. Yeah, definitely. And and you know that I will too. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a big fan of my library. Uh, and for folks looking for any of these books, we totally recommend that you check them out at your public library too. Library cards are free and you can check a book out in person or you can use the virtual library and download the ebook. Or since you're listening to us right now, you might enjoy an audiobook, which you can also download. Mm-hmm. Well, there is so much more we could cover, but I think this is a good place to encourage folks to see what else is out there in unions, in, pub- in pop culture. There are so many more books, TV shows, movies, and more for you to find. Definitely. And let us know what we missed. I know there's at least a few more Simpsons episodes we could have covered. <laughs> uh, so you've been listening to QPcast's fourth episode, Simpsons Did It, How Unions Are Portrayed in Pop Culture. We had fun and hope you did too. If you want, please feel free to share this podcast with your friends and family on social media or through word of mouth. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, please email us at info at We also just want to highlight the work of our amazing producer, Mohamed Akbar, and to Liam Bedard and all of the staff at QP Ontario for promotions and making this podcast really come to life. Stay tuned for our next podcast, which will dive into how women and gender oppressed people are treated in the labor movement and what's being done to support these folks. Thanks for listening. Sending you all solidarity and love. <laughs>